This is ASI, episode 108. My name is Russ Shaw. You're listening to Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, the Seventh Commandment. Forgive me now, cause I have been unfaithful. Don't ask me why, cause I don't know. So many times I've tried, but was unable. This heart belongs to you. I love that song. That is Skillet. Bumper by the band Skillet there. That is a heart-wrenching tune, as it should be. Uh, My name is Russ Shaw. This is Veterans Day here in the United States. A day where we uh, honor the men and women who serve our country or have served our country in the armed forces. Um, If you are a veteran or you're active duty military my hat's off to you. I salute you today because I realize that freedom is not free. That is the truth. Freedom comes at a price. It is uh, is just not something that we uh, we ought to be taking for granted. Um, today's show is uh, a response to email and uh, stuff, some letters and things that I've received, um, some conversations that I've had, and uh, yeah, it's uh, my words going out from this podcast, being broadcast throughout the internet and hitting your ears and um, interacting with your life, I, uh, I wanted to say today that I am humbled and honored. To, to speak to you, to be downloaded into your your device and to uh, to be played through your headphones or however you're doing it, whether you're driving, whether you're riding the bus, whether you're commuting to work, whether you're at the gym, I wanted you to know that I am humbled and honored to be speaking to you today. And I do not, um, I, I feel weight over this responsibility and I, I do not, um, I do not take for granted the 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 gift that God has given me that is evolved into the ASI podcast and what it is today here in November of 2010. So again, uh, russ at asi247.org is my email address. Um, the money part, I know, I know, I talked about that with the uh, vampire analogy, but listen, again, if, if you... See, legalistic religious people will use money, right? Now, they'll use people to get money um, as opposed to using money to help people, right? Let's help people by using money. Let's not use people to help me get money. That's not my goal. Um, If you think it is, don't give to me, okay? This is part of the... uh, 
this is part of the heart condition of, of coming out of this vampire-like right attitude that we would give, that we would be generous, even if it's five bucks, right? Even if it's just the lunch that I was going to have today, using that money to push back the darkness is powerful. And if you think that I'm one of those people that wants to use people to get money, then don't give to me right? Go to the website, ASI247.org. There is charities on there. You can give to a, a charity that they drill for water in Africa, all right? Um, I've spent more money on bottled water than I have on helping other people get water, clean drinking water in their villages in, in countries, third world countries like in Africa, right? Um, th one out of three babies die because they don't have enough clean drinking water. I mean, that's a real thing. Um, Haiti, uh, the church in Haiti, you can give to the church in Haiti through the website. Uh, the people in Haiti did not run to the government to get help, right, before the earthquake, and they ran to the church. They ran to the church for services, they ran to the church for social stuff, they ran to the church when they needed help. So again, I'm not using people to get money, alright, I'm using money to help people, that's my goal here. Uh, ASI247.org. So again, uh, thanks for downloading the podcast, and thanks for also being warriors. This um, this war that is sexual ethics and the will uh, that we all have, the the open freedom of our choices that we make in our lives. Um, whether you're in the U.S., or you're in the U.K., whether you're in Australia, whether you're in New Zealand, um, Africa. English-speaking world, uh, again, you're fighting a war. You're fighting something inside you that desires something dark. And for the addicts, man, I, I get it. I've been there. I can relate to how you feel when you feel like this thing has taken you over. Like the, the behavior owns you and you don't own it. I know what it's like to have your body and your reactions and, and what you do trump who you want to be, right? Like, I never wanted to be there. And that's part of the affair. That's part of the seventh commandments. Thou shall not commit adultery. I don't think we wake up one day, like we go to the altar, we fall in love, and, and we just, oh, you know, I'm going to have an affair, right? We don't, we're not thinking that when we go to the altar. We're not going, standing before God or the justice of the peace or whoever it is we're not standing before the the minister or our friends and we do this wedding and we think to ourselves you know i think in a few years out i'll just go ahead and have an affair i pray that you're not thinking that i don't think anybody ever does we fall in love and that's part of all the music and all the the stuff and the passion of life that we fall in love and this is going to be forever man this is going to be forever. I'm going to fall in love with this person. We're going to live happily ever after and it's going to go on forever because I love this person in my heart and that's not going to change and that's not going to fade and I'm going to stand before God in a wedding and I'm going to make that make that covenant. Covenant is something that can't be broken. A covenant is usually sealed in blood. A covenant is something that we we don't break. God has a covenant with us that is through Jesus Christ. I, I talk about that a lot. So I wanted to talk about affairs, right? Profanity, the cursings, 
in this word affair, because I think that that is not the right word for adultery. For you single people, um, I wanted to speak to you as well. In my city in Seattle, we have one of the highest rates of people who live together out of wedlock. And I think for a lot of people, that has to do with um, the fear of divorce. The fact that statistically, half of marriages are going to fail. I think we look at that, and a lot of the the hipsters in Seattle, the art, the artists. Um, we're a very artsy culture here in the Seattle area, in the northwestern corner of the United States. Um, the city was founded on a on a very artsy, right brain, um, creative type of of culture, and it continues to be that today. Um, I, I love where I live. There is some jacked up stuff that goes on here. There's a lot of rebellion and a, and a lot of that. It's funny how artists seem to have that persona, right? This rebellious persona. A good artist has to be a certain a rebel to a certain degree. That's what changes and refreshes culture. I saw a, a Pepsi commercial, which I thought was it was an awesome little message to the Pepsi commercial. I saw this guy in blue jeans and a T-shirt, and some things are just cool, you know, throughout the years, right? And some things change. Um, and it talked about that every generation refreshes the world. And, and if you think about that for a minute, that's true. Like the same kind of artwork isn't cool like a decade from now, okay? Um, it just needs to be refreshed. I think this is part of the creation that God created it to be, that things need to be refreshed. But some, some things need to stay the same, right? Like blue jeans and t-shirts. Some things just are the same and grounded throughout history, and they just don't change. Love is one of those things. So whether it's a right brain or left brain thinker, right, whether you're logical on this side or you're artsy on that side, the facts are that marriages are failing in this country. And the church, if, if anybody should have uh, marriages that are uh, staying together and people are loving each other and understanding a blood covenant, right, understanding till death do us part and saying that before God, if there's anybody that should understand that, it's folks in the church, right? Well, the Barna Group comes out a few years ago and does a study that says that Christians are probably more apt to divorce than the rest of the world. I mean, that's a huge black eye on the church. And I see this out there in the Christian culture. And it's really not understanding the cross, and it's really not understanding grace, and it's a lot to do with religion. It's why I hammer religion so much, because self-righteous religion is a heart condition. So we, we see that, and we don't trust marriage. And it's kind of like the the veterans today, right? Like how do you join you can't just join the military and be halfway into the military right you, you just don't do that you sign the paper you enlist you go through a boot camp so to speak and you join the military you become a, a veteran once you're been in the military for a while and you've served your country marriage is a lot like that we don't just get in halfway and pretend that we're enlisted 
Pretend that we're serving our God and our spouse halfway. But I think for us here in the Seattle area, again, with this the, the largest rate of people who live together without being married, um, that that is part of the fear. That I'm, I am so afraid of really getting up before a judge, putting something on paper, and, and committing my life to this other person. And some of us, we have this kind of rebel attitude, right? There's a lot of that in Seattle. Like, there's a lot of guys who say, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I love my spouse or my wife or, you know, I, I don't need that. We're, we, we're married in our hearts, man. We love each other. and We don't need some judge or somebody to tell us that we're married. Um, okay, but you're not a rebel. Okay, can, you, can we look at that and really see that as there's a certain amount of cowardice there? I said it. I know I'm going to offend some people today on the show. Um, I'm, I'm the religious people, I'm, I'm, you're next. Uh, but you're not. You're not, re you're not rebellious in that. that. That is a huge thing. that We keep every generation, every few years, they do the census or they do these um, surveys and they find that more and more people are not getting married because they see the institution of marriage as something that is failing and not working today. That should offend some of us. That should um, create in some of us a kind of urgency and a kind of angst and, and to be on our knees in praying to God for, for healing over the institution of marriage in the United States. That song, uh, Forgiven by Skillet, the, the just thinking and dwelling on Veterans Day today has me realizing the price that was paid for our freedom. Here in the United States, I'm just going to focus on the United States for a moment, that thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have died. And I know not just here in the States, you know, but throughout the England and, I mean, the Brits, you guys have been right an ally in the wars of the world but but think about that for a moment that our freedoms are not free somebody bled and died so that i can do this podcast and not have it censored and not have the government come in and say well you can't say this and you can't say that right there is bloodshed there is people have died to protect that right so as I'm doing this podcast, I want you to think of that on the forefront of your mind and keep that in perspective, that the, the wars of the war, that freedom isn't free, right? That there are enemies that try and move in and try and take from us our freedom, our life, our joy. They try and steal from us. They try and control us and steal and take from us what God wanted us to have, which is freedom, which is life. Right? John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus says, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's our God. But there's some who would move in and try and control that and try and take that from us because some of them have good intentions. Some of them are just selfish. Some of them want power and control. But either way, it has the same result. Um, you single people, this is a message for you as well. I've got emails from, from single people in the past saying that the show, you know, they feel left out sometimes. You're not left out. This is part of critical reasoning. This is part of how the culture is growing. And this is part of how you as an individual 
think, all right? I mean, today, I hear a lot of folks who are single who say, I just want to find the right person, and, you know, I'm just kind of picky, and uh, let me, can I just say something, and I love you when I say this, but can you examine your heart and make sure that you're not just selfish? I mean, we live in 2010, and there's no excuse for being single. If you don't want to be single... You can, you can date people. There's websites. There's eHarmony, for crying out loud. Huge success rate on people finding their right soulmate, their match, or whatever. I mean, the, these guys protect their uh, social psychologists that come in and try to study the way that eHarmony puts people together, man. And they protect that like, you know, like the KFC recipe. Kentucky Fried Chicken here in the States is this fast food chicken chain, and they have this secret recipe of 21 herbs and spices, and they protect it, man, like armored cars and stuff like that that move it around. That's the same with eHarmony. eHarmony, a great website if you want to meet somebody. These these guys really put together chemistry between people. So there's that. You really Are you really telling me that you can't find someone else that you can marry that you can love that you can fall in love with that you can create a romance with or are you just scared okay let's be honest and i love you when i say that but you using pornography and you having these short term little twidges of, of romance that are just sex it's stealing from your future it is it's destroying the life that God would have for you, the joy that God would have for you, the the depth of relationship that you could be having. And yes, that will be painful. That's another thing, that you fall in love with another sinful human being in this world, they will hurt you. Can I just say that? Like, can we just stop with all the puppy dogs and ice cream and oh it's just gonna be bliss and we'll be lovers forever no it's gonna hurt sometimes it will that person will let me guarantee you something guarantee you something that person will hurt you because they're not perfect because they're sinful and fallen and because many times because we we think that we're god and that they should be like our mom and dad and just give us what we need and what we want. And that's just not the way it is. This is a biblical concept. If you go back to the Bible, um, this is Genesis, that a man would leave his mother and father, right, and cleave to his wife because we want to love someone, we want to protect someone, we, we're jealous and this is something that God is going to talk about in, in starting of the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament law. Like there's some people that don't get married because there's other people in the world and they're afraid that if they give their heart and soul to someone that that person is going to eventually see them and not love them because they're not perfect because they're a mess. They're going to see them behind the mask that they put out for everybody. Right, I think that's the one of the biggest fears of, of single people is that you're going to fall in love with somebody. They're going to see their flaws. They're going to live with you, right? And they're going to see all the issues that you have, and they're going to go run and fall in love with someone else. And that would be devastatingly hurtful on your heart and soul. And I get that. And you know what? The creator of the universe gets that. God gets that. If you look in Genesis, if you look in Exodus, the, the Exodus starts like 
it starts with, I'm a jealous God. I love you. You're mine. I created you. I put you in this time period in human history. I know the hairs on your head. It was destined that I would love you and chase after you and pursue your heart and you're cheating on me, God would say. When we break that law that he's given, this is adultery. God understands it. God feels it. God hurts, right? That song by Skillet, Forgiven. He has forgiven the cross of Christ. The blood-splattered cross of Christ is his forgiveness for us. There is hurt and there is pain. But he has forgiven. Alright, so where's the hope? Because that sounds bad. Like, why would I want to get married then or be in a relationship? Because if it's always pain, it's not always pain, alright? Yes, there is pain involved. Yes, that person will hurt you. And yes, you're going to have to take a risk. But it's kind of like, I don't know, this may be a weird metaphor, but I was playing video games with my son the other night. And it was like, you know... I find myself getting frustrated, right? It, but in a video game, you have to level up. Like, you face the challenges and you face the the things and the the stuff that you have to conquer, the, the adventure, whatever it is, in the game in order to get to the next level or to rank up or whatever it is. And if it was just so easy, it wouldn't be fun, right? That's part of the challenge of, of these some of these games. But we quit, right? We don't want to level up. That's part of it. It's leveling up in your relationship, in your marriage. You learn a, a new thing about your spouse, and you're like, wow, this is cool. And you level up, and you gain a new, a new piece of intimacy. When you overcome yourself and start to invest in your spouse, right? Like, like I find myself with these games going today, going, there's too many buttons, right? And I just get negative about it. I start to attack it, look for the flaws in it, look for the issues and problems with it, Right? My perception towards playing the game is that there's too many knobs on the controller, man. There's just too many buttons, right? Back in the 80s, when I was a kid, we had one button and a joystick. It was simple. You just shot stuff and moved around. Why do they have to have 20,000 buttons and three joysticks? <laughs> so that's an, an attitude. That's a heart condition. That when we can overcome that, when we pray and when we get, put our heart before God and say, please, Lord Jesus, give me a new heart. Give me new motivations and new desires to take on this marriage, to take on this relationship as a challenge. And to actually invest myself, get outside myself and love this person instead of looking for all the flaws and problems with them. That's the hope that Jesus gives us a new heart. Having a new heart gives you new desires and it changes your behavior. And I'm learning that, man. I'm slowly learning that. I'm a mess and a disaster and I'm still learning to level up in my relationship. It's been five years. I'm still working on this. I'm still having to deal with my arrested development. I'm still learning not to quit. So I'm talking to myself a little here. I talk about the intimacy stuff and leveling up and not looking for flaws. It's it's easier said than done, but it's a good heart-level challenge that I would pray and be on my knees more often. And that's one of the things I fear doing this podcast, that you're going to hear this message and you're going to go, 
well, see, we're Christians, so you're supposed to forgive me, right? You have an affair, your habitual porn habit. You don't go get help for that. You just look at your spouse and go, oh, well, you're supposed to forgive me because that's Christian doctrine and that's what we're supposed to do. No, you don't deserve forgiveness. It's a gift. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast. All right? If you look at it this way, let's say you have two kids brother and sister, and they have a dispute. They have an argument. And it's the other one's birthday. Say that, right? And you're telling your son, right? Let's say the son was offended. And you're saying, you uh, you should get your daughter, your sister, sorry, my daughter, you should get your sister a gift. Why? Because she deserves it. That's why. Because you're a Christian and that's what you do. You just do it out of duty. Get her a gift. I demand you to get her a gift. Do you think your your kid's going to be motivated to give her a gift out of his heart, really? Or are you going to have to pull her along, pull him along, and say, well, you know, you have to look them in the eyes, get down with them and say, well, who is your sister? Well, she's my sister. And is she perfect? No. Does she love you? I don't think she loves me right now. Well, does she love you? Yes, okay. See, when we break this covenant through affairs, when we do this through excessive porn use, that's breaking that covenant a little bit, right? And we may say that we love them, but our actions aren't showing that. And this is why it's so critical that you take care of this addiction. But receiving grace and receiving forgiveness, it's receiving a gift. It's taking the gift that God has lavished on us through his generous blessing that he pours out. We don't demand forgiveness. We don't should and ought to on our spouse for forgiveness. Then it's not a gift. It's a coerced gift. And that's not a gift at all. Again, God's not after your begrudging submission. He's after your long-term joy. And that's the truth. That when you start to see the difference between religion and the gospel, it is, it is eye-opening. It is like a deep breath of fresh air to the soul. That God loves us that much. That that's his story, that he comes into human history to save us from ourselves. Um, the biggest thing that I've said that has offended people the most, I'm going to talk about that on the next show. There's something that I've said that has really offended people, and it's the thing I get the most really emotional emails about, right? If you could yell and scream through an email, this would what is what is in reaction to. I'm not going to give you that till the next show. I'm going to talk. I don't have time today. But today, I really wanted to focus on what it means to commit the sin of adultery and break the seventh commandment. Genesis 2:24 For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. That is in Genesis. Later on uh, the apostle Paul is going to talk to the Ephesians and he's going to say this Ephesians 5:31 and 32 For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh 
This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Understanding redemption. This is not just an abstract philosophical concept. It's not just a, a process of synapses firing in your mind. It is a, a heart-level understanding that your heart starts to change. See, this is the difference between behavior modification and real heart-level change, is understanding and, and reasoning through this concept of redemption. Because something sits on the throne of your heart, and I've said that before, but that's really the getting to the roots of this issue. Something sits on the throne of your heart and dictates the flow of your life. That you can reason it out all you want, that your brain can study all you want, that you can get into these um, trying to change habits and, and trying to change your behaviors on the surface, but ultimately the heart is going to want what the heart wants. You have to change the heart first, and then behavior follows. On the throne of our hearts sits a God. That is what he starts out with in, in Exodus 20. I love you. You're mine. You're my bride. You're my lover. I'm the lover of your soul, God says. When we put something ahead of him on the throne of our hearts, we break trust. And things get out of order and distortion and screaming and yelling. And yes, Russ, I don't think this marriage thing works and I'm so afraid that it's just going to topple over. And maybe leaving your mother and father is realizing that your life isn't theirs. My parents were divorced when I was young. My mom got married again and then again. Right? I know that kind of pain. I think on a child, it's one of the most devastating things I went through. All right? I would even put it above my childhood sexual abuse as a heart level, soul level pain in my life the divorce of my parents. That's truth. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed that they wouldn't get divorced as a little kid. And they did. They got divorced. And that was one of those breaks in trust with, with my relationship with God, that I thought things were supposed to work out for me. But God has other plans. He doesn't mean He doesn't love me. doesn't mean He's not going to continue to pursue me. But your parents being divorced, the divorce in your family, the it, listen, it doesn't mean your life has to be like this. Well, they were Christians, Russ. Maybe they were just religious people, right? I'll read you something from Mark chapter 10. And starting in verse 2, And the Pharisees came up in order to test him, that's Jesus, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, and I love how Jesus takes a drill bit, answers a question with a question, trying to get under what they're really after, right? Verse 3, he answered them, what did Moses command you? 
They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is quoting Genesis, Jesus is doing here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Because of your hardness of heart, I want to focus on that. Because of your hardness of heart that Moses created this law, it's because our hearts drift away, our hearts drift away. It's our responsibility. We fall out of love. That is just not true. There's no such thing as falling out of love. You fall out of some hope or some critical reasoning in your own spirit that feels like that other person should be serving you, should be fixing you, should make much of you. Right? And I know there's part there's affairs and there's abuse and, and physical abuse and yes, you need to separate yourself from that person for a season and pray that they would come back to you. But this is not, if they're repentant, if they're trying to change, then you see that and you love them through that. If you're being physically abused, then that's different. If that person's not getting help, that person, they don't see change, you may need to be separated from them for a while. Right? And maybe you grew up with some of that. Maybe you grew up with an unrepentant father who just kept sinning against your mom and you and physical abuse or sexual adultery, right? Dad cheated on mom, and now I'm a sex addict. It's dad's fault. I've received those emails. That's not true. You have to move away from what you learn from your mother and father. These are the social norms, those norms that we grow up in. What's normative in our life? It no longer has to be that we can put God on the throne of our heart, that we can have a new family through the church and loving other people that are in God's family, the church. Again, if you want to go to the website, ASI247.org, there's churches on there I trust that you can have a new family through. People who are blood-bought Christians and not just superficial religious people. I pray that you experience that. Um, more than I'd like to, to hear, I've heard of churches who have this thing called divorce care. Now, I wanted to address this from, from this standpoint of, of looking at Veterans Day today and seeing that there are people in churches who are willing to take this, this thing on, this divorce thing, because it is painful. It is a heart-level, horrible thing that goes through a person. I mean, people... The number one reason why females commit suicide is the death of a relationship. Um, it's the second most among men. I mean, th this is a critical thing. This is a heart-level hard thing that people deal with. And I think that it's commendable. And it is loving that you would want to take on um, helping people who have been through divorce. But I'm going to challenge you today for churches who have this. And, and if your church does, or you know a church that does, I pray that you would um, send a link to this podcast to them, maybe even burn it to a CD and, and put it under their door. Um, divorce care, 
what kind of a message are you sending when you have a divorce care on your church's website or on your church's bulletin board? Do you know the hearts of the people getting divorced? Are you deeper? Are you drilling deeper to find out why? Mark 10, verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Are you encouraging adultery? Do you even know if you're encouraging adultery? Do you even know why people are getting divorced? Are you trying to reconcile those marriages? I think that marriage, if you're focusing on divorce care or even healing marriage care, the message isn't deep enough. And listen, I hear your heart in that. Like you see you're hurting people who are sinned against. You see people, the devastation in their lives. You see the tears. You hear the hurt and the pain pour out of them. And you're willing to do what most people won't. And you're willing to engage them and love them and try and help them out of this. But I just want to warn you that even the most noble agenda can be idolatry. It can be taking the Lord's name in vain. It can be putting on the throne of someone's heart just right morality. The gospel is good social and spiritual ethics, right? It includes the people that are broken and hurting. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not religion, when you place religion on the throne of someone's heart, yes, it sounds noble. It looks like a good thing. You're telling them to be a better moral person. You're telling them to, to you know, change their behavior to, right? But idolatry can be taking a good thing and making it a God thing. And I'm going to read some of the words of C.S. Lewis in a, in a minute, but that is... That is true, that, that it can be the worst thing ever. And in this age, and in the realm of sexual ethics in the 21st century, we have to have a different outlook and view on divorce as the church. Because we've sinned against God grievously. And He has forgiven that's not a popular message. The cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. And I have offended more religious people with that message than anyone else. I love you guys. I want you to get grace. I want you to get love. I want you to understand that hope is part of worship. What you place your hope in is what you worship. I think it's great that churches have community groups and home groups, and I think that's important, but there needs to be something uh, for the deeper people who are de dealing with deeper hurts, like addiction, like divorce, like abuse. Um, our church has a, a thing called redemption groups. Uh, again, if you go to ASI247.org, there's a, a link to redemption groups. Redemption groups is a way to, like I say a lot in this show, take a drill bit, get down to the heart level issues, and really see what it means to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. It changes everything. 
We have seen people healed in their marriages. We've seen people who, um, porn addicts, sex addicts, uh, heroin addicts, Oxycontin addicts, coke fiends freed by this message of redemption. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's presented in a way that people can understand today. So I wanted to throw that out there, that redemption groups, if you wanted to look that up, it's sending a different message than divorce care. When you say divorce care, when you're not... We sacrifice because God has sacrificed for us. We give grace. That's a big part of marriage. Marriage is the gospel being lived out in a house, right? Two people get married and they have to give each other grace because they've been given grace. They understand the blood-bought situation that they're in with God, that they've been reconciled to God, right? 2 Corinthians 5, you want to read all that, study that. Being reconciled to God is a big deal. It's not just marriage either. When you're not chasing after the hearts of the people in your church so that they can chase after the hearts of the people in the community, you're sending the wrong message. You're preaching to yourself. You are. I know it's going to offend some of you, but you're putting most of your emotional energy. The church has this kind of, like I talked about with the labyrinth, that when we start to go in on ourselves... Right? That's psychology and religion that we can spend so much energy just going in on ourselves. That that's all we learn is how to enter into ourselves. And we can spend years in therapy, right? Just trying to figure ourselves out. Churches do the same thing. This is an opposite of mission. They stop trying to engage their culture or their community and they just start preaching to themselves. This, I believe, is a symptom of that. It's a hard-heartedness that doesn't care about the culture around them, that doesn't really, honestly, on a heart level, care about their neighbors. They just care about themselves. Love God, love your neighbor, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. When, when there's redemption groups, there's, can I tell you something? When heart level hurts and wounds come out, you know when you're getting real, when people start to... Uh, let me use some colorful language, I'll be honest with you. Right? This is me. I'm working on the car. There's sometimes you bust a knuckle and some colorful words come out, right? This has to do with profanity, okay? Some people want to say that, oh, saying the S word or the F word or, you know, these words are sin. Um, a bigger sin is taking this word affair. And, and tying it to adultery. That's, that is a bad word. Affair is not... Affair, you know, oh, we had an affair. That sounds like fun. Can affairs be fun? Yes. Can sin be fun? Yes. Short term. That's the hook, the bait. The devil dangles in front of you and tries to pull you into the boat. Short term little pleasures that bring long term death and destruction and infect your whole legacy. Check this out. Here's the Webster's definition of profanity. What is profane? To treat something sacred with abuse, indifference, or contempt. To desecrate. That's another word for it. To debase by a wrong, unworthy, or vulgar use. I think the vulgar use of the word affair is tying it to adultery. 
there needs to be bad words for bad things. And from the Webster's Dictionary, here is the definition of affair. Um, number one, a commercial, professional, or public or personal business. Uh, a romantic or passionate attachment, typically of limited duration. That's a good one. A matter of occasionally public anxiety, controversy, or scandal. Um, affair. I, I, if I, I looked up the F word before in a past show in the slang dictionary, and the number one, the, the roots of it, or it means to strike and to strike with malice to F someone, right? C.S. Lewis, a man whose cultural impact is, in, is <laughs> engaging the culture of close to 50 years after his death with this uh, movie coming out uh, based on the book series Chronicles of Narnia, the Don Treader will be in theaters soon. The heart of C.S. Lewis to engage normal, common people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love this man. One of my, one of my heroes. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in, in his book, um, The Reflections on the Psalms, when it comes to cursing. Again, on, on his chapter on cursing from the Psalms. A better synonym, yet also leading to a more terrible sin, for it encourages a man to think that his own worst passions are holy. It encourages him to add explicitly or implicitly, thus saith the Lord, to an expression of his own emotions or even his own opinions. As Carlyle and Kipling and some of the politicians, and even in their own way, some modern critics so horribly do. It is this, by the way, rather than mere idle profane swearing, that we ought to mean by taking the Lord's name in vain. The man who says, damn that chair, does not really wish that it should be endowed with an immortal soul and then sent to eternal perdition. For here also it is true, the higher... And this, here's my words, this is for the, the folks who are on the front line in ministry, right? For those of us who are veterans of the, the war, spiritual warfare... This is something that you really need to, to see and, and listen to the words of C.S. Lewis here. For, here. for here also it is true, the higher, the more in danger. The Jews sinned in the matter worse than the pagans, not because they were further from God, but that they were nearer to him. For the supernatural entering the human soul opens it to the possibilities of both good and evil. From that point, the road branches, one way to sanctity, love, humility, the other to spiritual pride, self-righteousness, and persecuting zeal. And no way back to the mere humdrum virtues and vices of the awakened soul. If the divine call does not make us better, it will make us very much worse. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. See, if you, in your church you check out this Redemption Groups thing, for example, this is one example, you check out this Redemption Groups thing and you want to change something in your church, be, be ready for to be met with 
right? People not going, oh, that's a great idea. No. You want to change something in your religious institution with religious people, they will freak out because they're so used to going into the labyrinth instead of going out. They're so used to serving themselves and their own sitting on their own thrones of power and not having Jesus on the throne of their heart to help other people, to minister to the culture, to love their neighbors and their brothers and sisters in Christ, and mainly to love God. Here's uh, Mark 10 again, going on to verse 33. Jesus has brought his 12 together, and he brings them together, and he says, hey, I got something to tell you guys. He gets them away from the crowd, and he brings in his 12, right? His, his posse, his crew, his, his people that are the closest to him. And it says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will arise. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came back three days later. The message of the gospel is peace and love and a better newness of life that we don't have to live with our parents pain and, and, and looking at our our history and seeing where we came from and thinking that we're just going to repeat that no it's it's putting something new on the throne of your heart it's putting Jesus on the throne of your heart and living this new life putting to death that old man that puts on the throne of his heart sex or, you know, short-term little relationships that we think are love. I'm falling in love. Some of that's just chemicals that run through your mind and running through your body. Love sacrifices, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And love never, ever fails. Love never, ever quits. Love keeps on loving. Love keeps on going. Control drains. Love continues to give. See, because things get difficult and in a relationship, whether it's a church or whether it's a marriage, what we do is we start to worship comfort. It's like my friend Scott Thomas says at Mars Hill. It's we worship comfort. We put on the throne of our heart ourselves when we worship comfort. It's a nice, gushy, soft place to feel, right? A place to be. And it doesn't resolve conflicts. What resolves conflicts is courage. Courage to be known. That's intimacy. In a relationship, that's good sex, right? When somebody knows you and you know them and you go through a conflict and you know each other a little deeper because of that, because you can come together and agree upon some heart level issue and, and it's intimacy. Then you come together and you make love after that, that kind of passionate makeup sex. You don't get that from surfacy relationships. And the church is very much like that. And it's going after having the courage to change things and putting to death the vampire that wants to sit in his comfortable comfort throne. I'm speaking to myself here. Because I, I love comfort just as much as the next guy. 
Jesus, please save me. It's Romans 8. And, and listen to these words and, and remember this and dwell on this. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we've been covered by his blood. That we've been forgiven. That we are in covenant with him. Nor angels, nor demons. Nothing can remove us from the love of Christ Jesus. And that blood-bought covenant that we're in, in with him. And we can all remember that as the church, as Christians in a marriage. My name is Russ Shaw. I'm going to leave you with a song by a band called Burning Yesterday. I love these guys. It's a great band. Uh, they're friends on Facebook. And uh wanted to play you a song by them. It's called Taken Away. I love this tune. Again, you want to send me an email? It's russ at asi247.org. Um, redemption Groups. If you want to check that out, is uh, a link on the website, asi247.org. Easier way to remember it is asi247.org. If you could leave a donation, I would certainly appreciate it. It keeps this thing going. Um, again, uh, if you want to share your story with me, I can keep your name private if you want, but I'd love to read your some of your emails on the show for future shows. Um, this has been a response to email. This show here is one of the ways that listeners have um, grabbed the steering wheel of the show, so to speak, and have brought me to, to speak on the subject. It's so important that we understand the blood-bought nature of redemption, that God, the creator of the universe, and the lover of your soul, loves you that much. He's not trying to control you and force you into doing something that's, you know, conforming to submitting to some, right? God's not after your begrudging submission. He's after your long-term joy. Control drains like a vampire sucking the blood out of someone. Love gives life like sunlight, fertilizer, good nutrient soil around a plant. That's love. This is burning yesterday. Love you guys. Till next time. Bye. I'm sorry.
Take my 